Broken trust can be healed, but it's not just time that's going to heal it. You need clear guidance about what to do and what not to do. I'm Jeff Stewart, licensed marriage and family therapist, and I've developed a free video course called The First Steps to Rebuilding Trust. This course will show you what's needed to begin healing after betrayal. I offer guidance for the betrayed partner as well as the partner who broke the trust. You can access it for free right now by clicking the link in the show notes. It's so good to be with all of you once again. Thank you so much for your feedback and your support and all the wonderful help that uh, you've provided this podcast. And as I've said in past episodes, if you have a minute, will you please do me a favor and go to iTunes or wherever you can rate this podcast and leave a rating so that lots of people can become aware of this life-changing information. There are so many people out there hurting and struggling, and we want to make sure as many people can get great resources as possible. And in fact, in today's episode, I'm going to introduce you to someone who has put together a virtual summit that has a wealth of resources for those struggling with pornography addiction, betrayal trauma, and we want to make sure that as many people hear about this as possible. So I'm going to jump right in and introduce my guest today. His name is Kurt Frankham, and he is the founder of Leading Saints, and I'm just going to let him tell you exactly what this is and what he does, and then we'll talk about this virtual summit he did on pornography and betrayal trauma recovery, and that'll be the focus of our episode today. So, Kurt, welcome to the podcast. Well, thanks, Jeff. This is I always like seeing other podcaster studios, and yours is much <laughs> cooler than mine, but... Uh... <laughs> It's fun to be here, for sure. Uh, so glad to have you in St. George and so grateful to be with you. So yeah, tell me about Leading Saints. Yeah, Leading Saints, so we're a nonprofit organization, 501c3, and we our mission and focus is to help Latter-day Saints be better prepared to lead. And uh, as as you know, in this, in this uh, church, we have many different uh, unique opportunities to lead, whether you're called as a Relief Society president, as a bishop, or young men's president, or you're just... Uh, you just want to make a, a difference and have an influence in your ward with, without the title. There's there's a lot of interesting circumstances that uh, we find ourselves in that sometimes we're not prepared for. So we we hope to bridge that gap a little bit. Yeah. So what kinds of resources do you provide? So we uh, our main I think most people know us by our podcast. So okay. we have 330 or so episodes that uh, I think I've recorded most of them where I just try and reach out to individuals like yourself or leaders who've had interesting experiences and uh, we we talk about what those experiences are and it's interesting to see individuals take those resources and apply them in their own in their own uh, circle of influence in their own ward or whatever and uh, and so we do the podcast we have online articles that people uh, contribute and cover principles everything from how to run a meeting to how to motivate people you know how to how to mentor people with addiction, those types of things, and then yeah, we then we do these virtual summits, and this is our fourth virtual summit. So we did one on called Motivating Saints, all about how do we motivate these people, especially in a oh, yeah. volunteer organization. Then I did, I believe the next one was Teaching Saints, all about just this the good principles of teaching. How do we effectively teach in our Latter Day Saint culture? And then I did one called Questioning Saints, where as far as how to mentor individuals who are struggling with their faith and with doubt and those types of things. And then most recently, Liberating Saints, where we focus all on how to help people who are struggling with uh, pornography. Yeah, that's great. And of course, that's the one that caught my attention. That's right. I'm well, actually going to go back. I don't yeah. I don't know if the other ones are available for, for yeah. people to access. Yeah, sure. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I'm listening to these other virtual summits and I'm like, oh, those sound really interesting. So <laughs> yeah, there's there's plenty of content that you could uh, cancel Netflix and spend all your time there. So, <laughs> well, obviously the Liberating Saints caught my attention not only because you invited me to it, but I had seen it before I got the invitation, and oh, I cool. secretly 
was hoping you would call me. Okay. And you did. So <laughs> your prayers were answered. Because <laughs> I saw I saw the the summit and I was like, oh, this this is great. And I'd seen I'd seen and listened to some of your podcasts and and uh, I think we've talked in the past. I think you yeah. interviewed me years that was ago. Like early on. You're probably in the first 20 episodes of Leading Yeah, Space, so. yeah. So <laughs> anyway, so it was good to be back. But uh, let's talk about uh, Liberating Saints and, and why you decided to take this on. I mean, I think the obvious answer is because it's a problem. Right. Right. Like members of the church are, you know, not immune to this. And I mean, even even in the October Ensign, I just saw it this morning. The whole issue is on pornography. Oh, well, good. I don't know if you've seen it or not. I haven't. Yeah, I just saw it in the Gospel Library this morning. And um, they have stuff on dating and pornography, teaching, you know, protecting children and youth, and a lot of great resources in there. And the content that I see them producing, it's getting more and more specific and more hands-on, which is great. Yeah. It's not just don't do it anymore. So for you, though, why why did you make this into a giant summit, right? Because you could certainly have just done a podcast like you've mm-hmm. done in the past here and there. But you you brought on, you know, 20 plus uh, speakers and re- experts and resources. So, yeah. well, I guess it really begins to my first day when I was uh, called as a bishop. I was set apart as a bishop, and at this, I was in inner city ward. I was a 28 year old marketing graduate. I mean, I, I had zero experience as far as what this uh, role as bishop was going to uh, put in front of me. And so, first day called as bishop, set apart. The my executive secretary hands me my schedule. Here's your appointments after church. I'm like, wow, this this is like really happening. I'm really the bishop. This is happening. <laughs> it's go time. All right. And so I remember the first individual walked in and and he shared with me a struggle he was having with uh, with pornography. And I had no clue what to say to him. You know, I, I had nowhere to begin other than just like, well, I don't know, just stop it. You know, like just don't do it anymore. I've, I'm like, wow, bishop, this is such. Yeah, because he probably advice. hadn't thought of that. Right. Exactly. <laughs> so. And just throughout my time, even on year five as 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 a bishop, I still remember, and some of these interactions just haunt me, you know, I can think of s- several individuals who would come in and I'm just so uh, totally in policing accountability mode, right? Like, listen, brother, like you, I need you to, to text me every night and uh, you tell me when, you know, if anything's slipped up or if you've had a relapse or whatever. And, you know, because I, I didn't know what else to do, right? And what happened was, you know, those texts or phone calls would come for a couple of days and then they just disappear. Radio yeah. silence, right? Yeah. Because if they slip up, of course, they don't want to call their bishop and tell them that, right? They're, I mean, the, the shame cycle they're in and getting beat up on, uh, beating themselves up about it. They don't want to call their bishop and, and go through this thing again and feel like, have him remind them of, of how they've fallen short or whatever. So I even up to the day I was released after those five years, I just felt like I never really figured it out. Like I didn't feel like it was an overwhelming help to those individuals that would come in. You know, of course, I'd encourage them and there'd be this, the spirit would be there from time to time. But I just didn't feel like I was I was that much of a resource that they would look forward to actually our appointments. And so with that, that experience or that anecdote, I've found that a lot of leaders felt the same way, right? And a lot of parents that they just don't know what to do. So they default to the behaviors and the policing it, right? Well, don't do this. We're going to get some internet software that's going to filter all this out. And and we're going to like will you into recovery from this. And as I've talked with more people, I just find that there's so much more going on that if we just understand these basic concepts, we can really help them. Not that we're you know, going to solve everybody's problem, but we can really be a strong resource. And so that's what I want to do. I want to put together like a one-stop shop that if there is a bishop on day one, or if there is an individual, a parent on day one of, of being a parent to a teenager, they can go to, they can they can review these resources and walk away thinking, hmm, I'm not an expert, but I think I have, I have a place to start. I have a resource to point them to. Yeah, I love that. 
Well, I think that's really smart because I think a lot of bishops, you know, even when I was a bishop and I had resources because I was a therapist, you still in that capacity feel really limited in what you can do because you're not, you know, you don't, you're not a professional, you're not, you know, and you're not their parent. And so there's just, sometimes it's confusing to know what the role is as a leader, what exactly you, you can and can't do or what you're supposed to do. But I think being educated is a huge part of it and pointing them to resources and at least even knowing how to talk about it or knowing, you know, what not to say. I think the education in my experience is a huge benefit. Yeah. Yeah. And just the, just the feeling of knowing that, okay, I don't have to solve this problem for this person. Right. Right. And and it's easy to get in that mode as a leader in in the church that, you know, this is sort of my role. People walk into this office and I, you know, say things that, that they walk out like, oh, I, I have hope, you know, but just that, that feeling of knowing, okay, I have a, I have a ton of resources in front of me that I can put in front of them or send them to a therapist or that through this process, we can work together and figure this out. Yeah. I love that. So how did you, how did you go about finding all these different resources? I mean, you told me that you had 23, 23 uh, uh, sessions, 23 sessions of the summit, which is massive. Yeah. I mean, that's bigger than any professional conference (laughs) I go to. And uh, so how'd you find all these people? And you mentioned that like it's bigger than most conferences, which is true, but the, this is why I love the virtual summit platform is that we can have the quality of a huge conference, but at the end of the day, it's just some guy, myself in his basement, like putting this together. <laughs> so, so as far as finding these people, you know, I, I hustled for, for a while and I have connections like with yourself and others that I, it was a simple email and, and yeah. setting a time, but you know, there's still five or six people that I'm like, I'm going to get you part of this at some point. Like we just haven't been able to match schedules. So really, it was just reaching out. I'd ask a lot of people like at Lifestar, uh, some of their, I have connections with some of their therapists and also individuals in recovery there. And I just say, you know, who should I reach out to? And they would connect me with people. And yeah, just, and it was just the little ones that like, for example, I interviewed a, a young single adult, the former stake president. And he just mentioned in this interview, it's Rob Farrell, a great episode in interview, but he just mentioned, yeah, we had a... Uh, stake relief site presidency that was all built, all put together as um, as students. It wasn't older older people like this more traditional uh-huh. YSA stake. And uh, this YSA stake relief site presidency decided for Ward Conference that they would go around to to each uh, relief society and talk about pornography. Not pornography in the sense of how can we help our our boyfriends or our you know our future husbands or uh, the men in our life. Like what about what, let's talk about pornography in our own life as women, right? And I was like. Wait a minute! Like, connect me with this with this state. Wow, uh, young women's or uh, relief society presidency. I want to talk with them, and so I sat down with them and just to hear like how they went through this and effectively talked about pornography and, and the struggle with pornography in the in the female context and how to create safety in relief society and the experiences that they talked about of women coming forward just saying like I felt so alone. I I knew for sure I was the only. The only woman in, in Relief Society struggling with this. And now I know I'm not alone. You know, it's so helpful for them to speak to it. And again, it's not that their presentation was perfect, not that they had all the stats nailed down. They just opened a dialogue in a Relief Society and it was awesome. Really saved some souls, literally. So, yeah, that's amazing. Right. Who would have thought, oh, I'm going to go find a Relief Study presidency right. <laughs> that's speaking directly to the women? I mean, that's amazing. Yeah. yeah so I just, you know, hear about these things these leaders that are yeah. doing interesting things around this this uh, concept and I try and track them down. So, wow, well yeah. good job. Yeah. So what I wanted to do in this episode is I mean we're, we're you know you're sitting on these these 23 sessions that you did and all this amazing content and I would love to just hear and understand for you I mean sort of an overall 30,000 foot view of what was your takeaway? What was this like for you to immerse yourself 
in all of this content for those few weeks. And then I would love to hear specifically, not that you're going to elevate one over the other, right? Because they all have their unique contributions. Right. But certainly I'm curious, like what themes came out, any particular presentations that stood out for you? So I'd love to just have you jump in and answer that first question. You know, yeah. overall, what was what was this like for you, you know, from what you felt or understood before you did this mm-hmm. versus after? Yeah. I would say the number one, like biggest principle or concept that I totally missed as a, as a lay leader in the church that I now understand better is this concept of shame and the shame game, the shame cycle that it's so hard to understand until either you've gone through the schooling as a therapist and, and really studied it, or you've experienced yourself as, as an addict or as somebody struggling with pornography that it's not about the pornography. Like that's simply just a symptom of what's going on. It's a lot of time about the shame, about, you know, past traumas or past things that that's where we need to dig into. And then the, the pornography will, will take care of itself a lot right, of time. Right. And so just the shame cycle of, you know, I oftentimes as a leader, I felt like, okay, I, I sort of need to be the disciplinary here, you know, bring them and okay. Probation you know, officer. That's right. Like <laughs> no sacrament for six weeks and give me that temple recommend. You know, obviously yeah. I, wouldn't, I do it in a much loving manner, but I just felt like the reason we do this is that you're not getting it. Obviously, yeah, so, you're the enforcer, right? I need yeah. to take these things from you until you learn your lesson, right? And that just, I'm in the sense, I'm just dumping shame on them, right? Right. And so I'm perpetuating the problem that we're all trying to solve, right? Right. And so just stepping back and saying, okay, there's shame here. This is like, in my opinion, like the adversary's greatest tool of keeping us in these to removing our agency is if he can bury us with as much shame as possible, he doesn't have to do tempting anymore. He can oh, take, I know. He can take the week off and know that I'll come back <laughs> and you'll be in the same cycle and I'll pick up right where you left off. Oh my gosh. That, that is like so descriptive, you know, and I've, I've often said to people, I'm like, you know, look, you study the story of Adam and Eve. Shame was Satan's first intervention. Yeah. It's like his biggest nuke and he pulled it right out at the beginning. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what like, especially shame related to, because shame is always related to identity. Yeah. And you, you look at all the scriptural examples of when the adversary is recorded in a temptation, like he approached Eve with, you can be like the gods, like your identity can be like them. So why don't you take, take this fruit, right? Or he's tempting the savior, right? If you really are the savior of the world, then- turn this this rock into bread, right? Like he's always approaching it from the identity angle. And that's because that's where shame lives. Like that's where shame is fostered there. So if he can get the shame into the identity, we as Doctrine and Covenants 10 says, we, we will set our own snare, our own trap that he doesn't even have to worry about us anymore, right? Because we're trapped in that, in that shame. So just the concept of understanding that shame exists, sort of what it's like and how it's perpetuated, like that is so valuable for a parent or, or a leader to understand. Right. And to act in, in ways that, that uh, eliminate shame. Yeah. Right. That don't feed it. Right. Because there's already even, even just some of the scriptures that, that we might misunderstand can be so shame inducing. And, and people suffer for years, unfortunately, over misunderstanding some of these things, even like the be therefore perfect scriptures. Right. right? And oh my goodness, like, I mean, how many people have suffered and cried tears over that right. one? Yeah. Right. That, Another one I think of is if you love me, keep my commandments. <laughs> oh, I love, right. Like, but in reality, but that's not it's not what he's saying. It's not what he's saying. But we it's can not read what he's it saying. Way. But we read it that way, and 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 that that shame, we're so sensitive to it. Yeah. I mean, for Satan just to say to Adam and Eve, like, "Hey, you're naked," they're just like, <gasps> "Right, like run, hide, right, yeah. like hide, conceal, disappear," and we fall for it. We take the bait as humans. We're just so vulnerable to it. And yeah. so, so when you're looking back on this and going, "Wow, I wish I would have understood that more as a, as a bishop," what would you have done differently? Yeah, to me, it's more of like you know, I just think of the the parable of the of the prodigal son, where it says in there that 
he saw his, his son, and this isn't verbatim, but the ter- he uses the term, and he was a far way off, and he ran to him yeah. and, and loved him, right? Like we can, I remember individuals coming in, and you're just like, as a bishop, I remember looking at these people like, how did you get in this mess? Like I go day to day, and yeah, I'm, I'm sinning, but I mean, I'm not, I'm not doing these things, right? And so you can see these people like, you are so far away off. Like I really need to help you, right? But to take that example of the prodigal son's father that, you know, we just run to them and love them and say, you know, I'm so glad you're here. And do you realize how many people have been in your same situation and overcome this? Like, and I've got all sorts of resources, right? And so to me, the shift went from the bishop's office being the disciplinary office to being the resource office. And if an individual who's just beating themselves up, covered in shame, walks in there and says, hey, don't worry about it. You know, he hears it from their bishop. Don't worry about it. I got I got a stack of resources here and they've helped other people. Let's get started, right? Like establishing this message of hope. Like this is not, this is something that, that you want to overcome and, and we'll figure it out, but you're not lost. Like you are not the only one suffering with this. And I can share story after story or resource after resource to help you overcome come this. And so being a resource office rather than the disciplinary office. I love that. Yeah, the harbor in the storm. It's like, yeah. come in, you know, let's let's patch you up and, and give you some hope. And yeah, the hope is huge. Yeah, it's huge because so many people go in there fearing the worst, yeah. knowing that, oh my goodness, there's going to be consequences. And there might be. Right. Oftentimes there are consequences in terms of, you know, we are a church that has, a, has some worthiness requirements yeah, in yeah. terms of entering into holy spaces and other things like that. But there's always a bridge back. And that that's the thing I've learned about shame over the years is that the way that you actually become a non-shaming person is that you always provide a bridge back. Yeah. Always. Yeah. There's a experience in the, the summit, Steve Shields, he's a recovering addict, and he just shares his experience about, you know, what helped him from, from his leaders to reach that recovery. And he talks about how he was so blessed that he, very few members of his stake got to meet with their stake president on a regular basis, but he did, right? Hmm. And it, was, it really wasn't even about his quote unquote problem or addiction. But he would just meet and they would have this spiritual interaction. Now, even when they didn't talk about the the pornography or they didn't talk about his infidelity, right? And just creating an office that even you don't even have to talk about the problem. You can just say, you know, why don't we just talk about the temple for an hour? You know, let's read some scriptures. Why don't you do some studying? We'll come back. Let's just talk about the doctrines, right? And removing yourself from the state of, okay, I got I to gotta fix this guy. All right. So I'm going to put it together an accountability plan. And here's some scriptures that maybe he can think about. And maybe we're, we'll choose a hymn that he can think about when it's, it's a tough day, right? Like the therapists and others around them, they're, they're going to help with that in, in big ways. But the best interaction is focusing on the doctrine, establishing hope. And so that when they want to keep coming back to the office, it's not a check-in or, all right, well, that's, uh, you know, your probation officer that let's see how, how you have you done this week. And all the, obviously those topics will come up, will need to be reconciled. But a lot of the times people, when that person is begging for, you know, a disciplinary counselor to be disciplined, they're not a good place at that moment. There's a shift that happens where suddenly they're enveloped by that hope and they just say, you know, I'll do whatever it takes, whatever time we need here, Bishop, or, you know, we'll get there. I love that. Yeah. And I, and I do think that that's a really great point for the bishop or the stake president to shift out of feeling this panic and this fear that they have to somehow put the fire out. Yeah. And instead, there's something powerful about relating to another person, just, you know, brother to brother, yeah. brother to sister, connection, or whatever. right? Just connection and treating them and mirroring back. You have worth and value. Like, I think you're, you know, you're a great person and I'm just so glad we're talking. And that that completely dissolves the shame because mm-hmm. the the shame message is, is that like, if people knew this about me, they wouldn't even want to look at me in the eyes. Yeah. And 
bishops and state presidents and relief state presidents and other leaders can can do so much just to treat somebody like a person. Right. And especially, you know, when they're in the cycle or deep into the addiction, they'll come in and have a relapse time and time again. And as a leader, you're thinking, do you not understand how serious this is? Like, why would you relapse, right? And so you, it can be a very frustrating experience on that side of the desk feeling like this guy just doesn't get it. Like, what else do we need to punish you with until you get it? When in reality, they're so buried in shame, they want to get it. They just can't understand why they can't come out of it, right? And so shifting that to just saying like, you know, hey, we're here. I'll be here as long as it takes, right? And isn't that the message of the Savior? Like, I'm going to stand by your side as long as it takes. We'll figure this out. Right. The Jesus that I know, I can't ever see him putting some kind of, you know, oh, he's tapping his toe. The clock's ticking. I'm going to, you know. It's just not like that. And not that obviously there will be a final judgment, but that's so far off and there's so many opportunities to get it right. Right. And boy, I think it was Elder Maxwell that talked about, you know, Heavenly Father's, he's relentless in his redemptiveness. Mm-hmm. I'm paraphrasing. You, you kind of have to paraphrase Elder right. Maxwell. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. So, so that was one of the biggest takeaways yeah. for you. Yeah. And the next one I think that we lead into as far as from shame is to, you alluded to it, connection. Yeah. Like, it's so easy, especially I remember my time as, as bishop, just getting in the state where I think, okay, listen, me and you will handle this. Okay, we don't need to talk to anybody else about it. Let's meet maybe weekly, maybe every other week, and and we'll get through this. All right, we'll settle it. And then as I learn, and I hear especially from those that reach recovery, like the connection, like swarming these people with connection and support and love, like. You know, I would much rather say things like, hey, do you mind if I let the elders quorum president know about this, right? Like, who do you really, who are you really connected to in the ward? Let's get them involved. Or I know two or three people in the ward who've been in your same state who are, have overcome it. Can we get them involved, right? Now, I maybe wouldn't say that, you know, the first meeting, like the first 10 minutes or whatever, but moving that conversation outside of the bishop's office to more connection, more help, more resources, like that connection is, there's a great TED talk about. The opposite of of addiction is not sobriety, it's connection. Like right. when we connect people with people, that is really where recovery is found. So that was a huge, huge one for me. Yeah. And if you want to look that TED talk up, it's Johan Hari, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's a good one. That's great. Yeah. He wrote a great book, Lost Connections, mm. that talks about this whole principle. So Yeah, and another- it's and it's so easy, like in our culture, to sort of feel like, okay, we you know, this is what the bishop's office, this is why there's a door on the bishop's office. We need to keep things behind the oh, scenes. Oh, soundproofing. Here. Oh yeah, my goodness, soundproofing, the church. Yeah, like, wow. Soundproofing. <laughs> and you know, so just don't don't you don't need to talk about this. You know, maybe <laughs> don't even make comments in Elder's Quorum. You know, it's like yeah. we get to the stage of like, okay, we just need to figure this out between us. But that is again bringing more shame into it because we think you're so broken, like you shouldn't let other people know how broken you are. Well, that's just it, right? Like I think that there's a lot of well-meaning leaders who become part of the problem by sending the message that this is so shameful and so secretive that nobody can know. Mm -hmm. And I think that as a leader, and I know even as a therapist, like when you understand how important connection is to dissolve shame, Mm -hmm. which is the problem of addiction and even trauma, then you have that confidence to recommend it. You have the confidence to to nudge them, even though they're going to squirm and they're going to argue and they're going to protest that they can't do this and it's going to make things worse. And how could they face somebody they might know? But for you to gently just apply that pressure to say, no, really, connection's going to make a difference. No, really, stay with it. Trust me. When you have that kind of confidence because you understand and you've been educated on it, I honestly can't think of one situation in 20 years of being a therapist where connection backfired on me. Yeah. yeah honestly. So, so powerful. It's powerful. Yeah. And you, you got to trust it. 
Yeah. And and like you said, the person initially isn't going to feel like, oh, yeah, I can't wait to tell other people about this. But when they see maybe another individual in recovery share their story and how open and vulnerable they can get, like there's something there's something about that 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 draws that out of another individual to be vulnerable and that vulnerability just shatters that shame that they're in. Right. I mean, I think about the Alcoholics Anonymous in 1935. I mean, these guys didn't have a clue. Mm -hmm. A bunch of alcoholics getting in the room and all they did was start telling their stories. Yeah. And things started to improve. Yeah. You know, whatever you think about the 12 steps, that part of it we know works. Yeah. Right. <laughs> the getting together part, face to face. So that's awesome that you took that away. And, and the, again, they're very connected to shame and the connection, right. right? One's the problem, one's the solution. Yeah. And this is, and as I go through this, like, these aren't things that only help addicts or individuals struggling with pornography. Like I see this in my own life. I see the shame cycle, even totally. in the, the mistakes and the weaknesses I have. I think I'll suddenly find myself sort of beat myself up like, ah, you know, I, it's been two days I haven't read my scriptures or man, I haven't been in the temple in a while. Like, ah, man, I'm not a very good, you know, there I am like trying to attach oh, to man. my identity. Right. And I'm like, oh, that's the shame cycle. That's the adversary wanting me to attach my failures of behavior to my identity. And that's not a safe place. And so then you shift to a place of, you know, I'll, I'll figure it out. I'll get there. I'll, I love the scriptures. I'll get back to them. I love the temple. I'll get back there. You know, I don't need to have a measuring stick of what my identity is because of these things. So, and the connection, the vulnerability, I'm finding, I'm trying to push myself in my own elder score to raise my hand and just be vulnerable for a minute. Tell a story where oh, yeah. I, I was weak this week and, uh, and it was tough. And let me tell you about that. Right. And so, even in my own life, it doesn't, you don't have to be, you know, this quote unquote addict or in these, you know, seeing a therapist week to week to really benefit from these principles. Right. And the thing is, is that if you don't know how to do anything else as a leader with someone who's battling this, you can just be vulnerable and open up and relate to what it might feel like to feel like you're a failure. Yeah. Who can't relate to that? Right. Who can't believe, who can't relate to feeling like, you know, you wouldn't want anybody to know a mistake. Right. Everybody can relate to that. Yeah, absolutely. And absolutely. so- it's the universal human problem. In fact, I think some researchers have labeled shame as the master emotion. Mm. It's the one that controls all the other emotions. And it's because, like you said, it's rooted in our identity. So, yeah, I love that. I love that, you know, honestly, Kurt, like when I, I didn't know the answer to the question of what was your biggest takeaway. Uh -huh. But if you'd come back and said like, oh, I've got this awesome technique for, you know, <laughs> eliminating pornography in three days, you yeah. know, I would have been like, no. <laughs> This great meditation <laughs> session. You just do it right. three times and you're free. Right. right. And I'm like, no, no, no. Like, but I think you've really, I think you've really like, well, you obviously paid attention and really listened to your guests, but you also found people that I think are doing good work because that's the answer. It right. just is. And, you know, the more professionals and experts and people in recovery you talk to, it'll all come back to this every time. Yeah. It just does. Yeah. And that's the thing is that, especially I think it, I have a good friend who has a, a teenager, 17 year old, just going through it, just in the battle with, with pornography. And, you know, she just feels hopeless. Like it doesn't even know where to start. And yeah, you can go read a stack of books, but my hope is with, you know, the summit, they have resources to start with, listen to these, and then you'll have a direction to go. So should I go into another yeah, one? I let's I yeah, take away. Absolutely. So this concept of betrayal trauma, yeah, which happens with the, with the spouse. I love Steve Shields articulates it in a way that says, the addict is the one that's sick and he's throwing up. But the problem is he's throwing up on his spouse, on his parents, right? And so the parents, the spouse is not addicted, but they have vomit all over them, right? Wow. Like, <laughs> and so that needs to be addressed, right? That's, it's, and it's easy to get in this mode of like, okay, you're the one that's addicted. You're the one with the problem. Let's focus on you. And we totally forget the spouse. All right? this collateral damage. Yeah. And it's oh, just, yeah. and it's happening all over the place. So 
There's several sessions and even got to a point I thought sometimes, I think I've created a betrayal trauma summit that talks about addiction on the side. Like sometimes I worried there was too much betrayal trauma yeah. in that talk, but I thought, you know, I'm going to err on that side rather than then not talk about it. Yeah. You know, and so there were several great sessions about this concept of what my spouse's addiction did to me, right? Because you've seen it. I mean, this textbook, you've seen it time after time where that spouse suddenly shifts in this mode of like, okay, all right, we're going to handle this. He or she came forward with their struggle. We're going to handle this, but you know, I'm going to fix them. I'm going to, we're going to create a sticker chart. And every day we're going to go through it and say, have you done this? Have you done this? Have you done that? And it becomes codependency, right? Where they're, suddenly trying to make their spouse reach recovery. And that's just not a healthy spot to be in. Oh, yeah. And they, they end up as, I'm trying to remember the author who said it, Harriet Lerner, I think she talked about it as de-selfing. Wow. Right? Yeah, you that's just, so true. You just de-self and, and you completely ignore the impact that this has had on you. And you're right. And I, I worry that I've seen this just in, in our faith, that a lot of the times you know, forgiveness, charity, all these things just, you know, there's a lot of pressure. Charity mm -hmm. never faileth, man. Let's just jump in and like save these guys instead of taking a minute and saying, wait a second, I just got run over. Right. <laughs> and what's happening to me? Right. And do I need to set some boundaries? Yeah. And is this like, you know, there's just some, there's just a rush to sort of like take care of the, the addict or the problem and recognizing that there's actually two problems now. Yeah. And <laughs> it's so sort of funny, even though it's not, but the most core basic doctrine of our gospel is the Savior, Jesus Christ, that we have a Savior. And then we're so quick to sort of put him aside. It's like, okay, well, I'm going to step forward and be we'll the Savior. We'll get to that. Yeah. I'll save him now so that you can save him later, right? Like, no, like we have to shift from being, being that rescue mentality to the surrender mentality saying, you know, Father, I cannot fix him. And so I surrender him to you. I surrender myself to you. Where do we go from here? And that state of mind even for the addict is that's where recovery is found, right? That, that state of just saying, I can't do this. I need some help. And that's when the recovery begins. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And I think there's kind of a dark underbelly to this that maybe I, you probably heard come out in this, which is that I think so many women especially put pressure on themselves to fix it because they're blaming themselves for yeah. the problem. Yeah. And, in some, and in a lot in a lot of cases, they're being blamed for the problem by the addict mm -hmm. and also sometimes by the leaders yeah. and by other people. Which is what you're not sexy enough. You haven't done enough. What kind of a wife are you? I had one leader and I do not want to criticize leaders, but this is just an example of what it yeah. sounds like. And this is how subtle it can be, Kurt. Like well, I had one leader ask a wife in front of her husband. Well, she, he looked at her and he says, well, aren't you guys having couples prayer? Oh no. Right? <laughs> like that was his first question about when this guy's pornography addiction came out. Yeah. But it's implied, right? That like, aren't you praying together with your husband? Aren't you guys together? Like, it's like, no, 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 no. This isn't whether this has no bearing on whether she's praying with him or not. Yeah. It's not about her creating this problem. It just comes out in the language. So a lot of women feel blamed and they blame themselves already by not feeling like they're enough because it's such a deeply personal type of, you know, pornography strikes the deepest, most intimate part of a marriage that a lot of women just jump in and start feeling like they got to do something. Yeah. And a lot of people let them. Right. Yeah. And that's the thing is that like these are good intentioned leaders or good intentioned individuals who don't realize what they're doing. Even it's not like the the leader brings the wife in and says, well, this is probably your fault, right? I mean, of course, no, it's never leader, that direct. Yeah, it's never that direct. But typical scenario I hear about is, you know, maybe a husband is caught or maybe he does come forward and he shares, you know, I'm really struggling. I've cheated on my spouse. I've, you know, it's really gone to a dark place. And that bishop sees somebody who's confessing, who's like stepping on the right path towards repentance. And then in reality, maybe that person hasn't stopped. And then the wife comes in and her barometer is just off the charts. Like something's not right here. 
and uh, Steve Shields talked about that the spouse is always the barometer in this. Like, totally. You know, you can tell if there really is recovery by the spouse because she's going to pick up some, you know, her yep. uh, red flags are growing off the charts. And so then the wife thinks like something's not right. No, he's, it's not happening. There's this, this, and this is still happening. And then so the bishop thinks, okay, this husband, here he is, humble, repentant. Now the wife just doesn't get it. So maybe the wife is the one that needs to go see the therapist, right? And so that's a very typical scenario that, yeah, I can see how you can shift to think maybe the wife isn't because the husband looks like he's fine. Like he's repentant. Yeah, he's done some bad things. And then we shift to, well, you need to forgive him, you know, or, you know, this force of getting, changing you rather than than focusing on the person who's caused a lot of these things. And so just these scenarios totally. where we can accidentally slip into telling the wife with not using the rulers, but indirectly saying, well, I think this is sort of your fault. Yeah. yeah well, she's kind of the easiest target because yeah. it's the hottest emotion in the room. So yeah. it's like, hey, shh, you know, let's yeah. calm this thing down. When in reality, you know, it, it is somewhat counterintuitive to sort of go after the nice guy. Right. Because a lot of these guys come in, they're pretty contrite. They're pretty, you know, they're pretty broken down. And the wife is now just learning about it. So she's fired up and hurt. Yeah. And it can be somewhat misleading to put the focus in the wrong place. But she needs a ton of emotional and spiritual first aid, and oftentimes she doesn't get it. And so I love that, honestly, when you said that there were a lot of presentations and discussion on betrayal trauma, you wondered about the balance for it. I think it's been so imbalanced for so long that I don't think it could have gone any better than that, honestly. I don't know that we can talk enough about it because so much about betrayal trauma and what needs to happen to help heal relationships and heal individuals, a lot of it does run counter to what our natural reflexes are. Yeah. And I just think back to my time as a bishop that so many times, you know, near the end, I was sort of picking up on this, like, okay, I shouldn't just focus on the individual having the problem. I need to check in with the spouse. And oftentimes I would reach out to the spouse and, you know, she doesn't want to talk about it, especially with their bishop. So she would say things to me like, oh, you know, I'm fine. Yeah, this is really disappointing and we'll figure it out, but I'm good. But to really step back and think, no, I'm not going to be, I'm not going to settle with just that you're fine. Like, here's some resources. That's right. You know, and not that I drag her in and no, but you lean talk. into it. Yeah, you lean into That's it. That's right. And you really say, you may not understand what's happening, but you are experiencing trauma here and you just need to be aware of it. Okay. You're not going to be the only yeah. person that didn't, that comes through this unscathed. Right? So many of them need permission. Yeah. Right. A lot of them don't even know that they're in trauma and it's not until a leader, I can't tell you the women I've met with over the years where they come in and like, no, I'm fine. I'm good. Even yeah. in therapy. Right. Right. And we have to say to them, so what about this? Ask a few questions. All of a sudden they're like, wait a second. <laughs> and it's, yeah, it's like an awakening. Hurt. It's an awakening. Yeah. They, so they may awesome. not even realize it, right? That's, I think that's a big takeaway is the spouse may not even realize they're experiencing trauma. Yeah. And we're not, and the thing is, we're not creating it. We're not introducing it. Right. We're just helping them because trauma, there was a great book on, Judith Herman wrote a great book on trauma and recovery. And she said just universally that there's a dialectical with trauma, which means There's two opposing responses. One is to shout it from the rooftops when you've been traumatized. Hmm. And the other is to completely pretend it never happened. Hmm. Most people do the latter. Yeah. Most people automatically go into a total free state and everything in them just protects them from having to face it because it's so overwhelming that they don't know what to do. And when we start talking about it and giving them permission, we're drawing them out into a conversation about it and helping them see the very thing that their body was protecting them from. But unless we help them do that, both in a lay setting, clergy setting, professional setting, family setting, and and give them permission and coax them out and have them do their work, they're not going to heal and it will come out sideways with health problems, emotional problems, relational problems, you know, and it's, I just love that, that you brought this, you know, really forward and you emphasize it and spent so much time on it in your summit. So that's a great resource. So shame, 
connection, betrayal trauma, any other big takeaways? You know, I think just sort of dovetailing off of this, as far as betrayal trauma, like your session we did, you focused on as far as disclosure. And it's so easy in our culture to think, well, yeah, that's what the bishop's office is, the disclosure office. That's where we go to disclose our sins and mess ups, right? But to realize that, especially when there's a deep addiction, like it's not enough, the bishop's office is not enough, or, and it can actually make it worse, right? And I totally, I was the 29 year old bishop who was instructed to take a man over to his house and sit down with his wife and facilitate him telling his wife that he had been unfaithful several times, right? And that's a story that will never leave my memory because now I realize, wow, there was so many more steps I should have taken before just ripping that Band-Aid off. They could have really helped that marriage. And luckily that marriage did work out and they're still happily married. But but just that disclosure part, it doesn't, that's not just a spiritual responsibility of a leader. Oftentimes that spiritual responsibility includes including a professional therapist like yourself to really untangle the disclosure of everything they've done. There's so much shame in that process, right? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I loved talking with you about that. And and you're right. I mean, confession, which has, you know, been part of every religious tradition forever. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Confession is, I mean, that happened in the Garden of Eden, right? I mean, confession is the first step, but then it's like, okay, now we've identified that there's something we need to spend more time on. And that's when the disclosure begins. Mm Because we hide so much from ourselves. Yeah. We just do. We we are so good at not facing because of the shame. Yeah. We're so good at not facing ourselves and looking at things honestly. And so and by the way, you're not you're not alone. I mean, even even professionally, years and years and years ago, when I first started, the way I would handle disclosures was painful. It just, you know, I didn't understand how thorough I needed to be. And so I didn't prepare people well enough. I didn't spend enough time with it. And so, you know, through studying and working closely with colleagues. And uh, learning how to really facilitate good disclosures, it's been a game changer for people. And it really offers true healing for people. Yeah. And I remember as a bishop being so frustrated that individuals wouldn't tell me everything in one sitting. Yeah, right. I'd be like, how how did you hold this back from me? Like, I remember clearly many times saying, listen, if you really want to reach repentance, you need to be completely honest and tell me everything, right? (laughs) But. But the individuals inside, he's thinking, it's not that I don't want to tell you. Like, this is so difficult. Like, I can't just spill it all out, right? And that's where the therapist comes in to really, you know, unwind that knot of lies that that person is is trapped in. They do want to say everything, but it's not fair for me as a leader to say, all right, we're sitting down. Let's go through it, right? Tell me everything. It's just not, they're not going to reach healing. And it can be even more traumatic, that secondary trauma that can come out of that process. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you have to give people time to let things percolate and sort of settle in and and for them to be able to sit with and face their story. So yeah, yeah that's great. So are those four takeaways? Do you have more? Yeah. Because I mean- Well, there's 23 <laughs> sessions. There's all sorts of- <laughs> There's probably a but, takeaway per, um, per session, right? You know, just, I think those are the, the main ones I'm, I'm thinking over. You know, we had an individual talk about good, better, best of addiction recovery programs, had many recovering addicts, had some great sessions with Dina Alexander about how to talk with kids about these things. Oh, I mean, isn't she great? Yeah. I mean, because that's where it starts, right? We we want to avoid these things. And so I have a seven-year-old and our conversations are much different than my conversations with parents as, as a seven-year-old. Everything from creating vulnerability in in your quorum and really how uh, talking about it. I had a great session with a bishop and a young man. He was the first assistant in his priest quorum. And finally, he just said, you know, I'm talking about this. And he got up in, in his priest quorum and says, we're all looking at porn. Don't act like you're not. We're all looking at porn. And he created this dialogue that totally transformed 
that priest quorum, and then they took it to the teachers and the deacons. And, Good for him. Yeah, it was. It's a remarkable wow. session. So, so yeah, th- that's the gist of it. Recovering stories, both men and women, and uh, man, okay. Professor Rarick from BYU Idaho talks about the importance of fatherhood. I mean, it, it, incredible topics, and and so yeah. But those are my my main takeaways. So it's wrapped up. Are you done with it? Uh, the summit. So I'm never ever really done with a summit because I always find oh, really interesting and you'll just people, add it and to... I'll just add them down the road. Ooh, nice. So okay. and so one thing I need to explain for your audience is the way we use these summits to help fundraise for our nonprofit, so we can keep going as an organization. So the way it works is that we open them up for two weeks that they're free. Anybody who signs up can watch it, can watch them. And then after a time, there's just an all access pass that they can purchase to gain access. And that's how we fundraise. But if people are interested in seeing it, there's three sessions that are free to watch right now. And then, so you can go to leadingsaints.org slash liberating, put your email address in there, and then you'll get the three sessions. And then we're going to do a, we're going to do the summit again, do a rebroadcast, if you will. It's where you will have an opportunity to see them all free again, or you can contribute to our organization and, and get all the, the sessions to, to watch as well. So, okay. if, but if you can't afford that, and we do have some scholarship, if you really can't afford it, reach out to me and uh, I'm sure we can find uh, a sponsor to, to get you in there. But uh, just know that there in the next month or two, we'll probably rebroadcast it again. Okay. So the three episodes that are available for people, those are available anytime. They give you yeah. their email address and you'll just basically give them access to three so they can see. Uh, they can see the three sessions, see the quality of the sessions. Okay. Them. Awesome. What three sessions are they? Do you know what they are? There are, uh, off the top of my trick head question, now, but they're, they're good. <laughs> they're really good. Three sessions. So. That's fine. I was just wanting to, I was just wanting to give people an idea of what they could expect, but I mean, they're all great sessions yeah. and, uh, you're definitely not going to go wrong. I looked at the list and I was like, wow, you found some good people. This yeah. is really cool. No, I felt very fortunate that they agreed. So, so what's the website? So if you go to leadingsaints.org slash liberating, that's uh, the starting point. That'll okay. get you where you need to go. Leadingsaints.org slash liberating. And put the email address in, and then where can they purchase the all access pass? Uh, right there on the same page. It'll okay. There'll be a link to do that. How much so. is the pass? Uh, right now, it's seventy nine dollars. That's so. a deal, folks. I'm telling you, that's a deal. I think because uh, I'm thinking of other conferences I've gone to. There, I mean, you're going to pay a lot more. Twenty three hours of incredible commentary and uh, resources. Seventy three. That's that's a great seventy nine. Seventy nine. Seventy nine dollars. That's a great price. Yeah, that's fabulous. So thank you so much for putting this together. So. Just in wrapping up here, I'm just curious if you have any sort of parting thoughts about about this whole virtual summit, about the issues of pornography addiction, sexual addiction, betrayal, trauma, just kind of wrapping all this up. What would you say? Yeah, I think naturally uh, my voice would go to those those leaders out there because I've been that leader, you know, and, and, you know, we've talked about some difficult circumstances where maybe the leader didn't respond or act or maybe cause more harm than good. But at the end of the day, I know that every single leader just wants to help this person. And so they don't know what to do. And so they maybe do some things that are wrong or are not helpful, but they've got to try something, right? And so I just want to pour out a, a bunch of empathy to them saying, hey, you're in a tough spot, especially you parents as well. You've probably never done this before, even if you have, maybe not, not with a specific child. And there are resources out there. And the biggest message, which is the gospel message, that think about that loved one in your life who's struggling with pornography. They win in the end. Like the Savior's got him. He suffered. He died. The cost has been covered. They win in the end. So regardless of where their journey takes them in the meantime, just know that they're going to be okay. Wow, that's powerful. Because I think we all get so afraid, mm-hmm. right? We all just get so afraid and we, we lose our minds yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and say and do things that just aren't helpful. Yeah. And so, you know, as a, as a parent or a leader, like you're saying, 
just to have faith in the Savior, to have faith in the process that if somebody wants to get well, they're going to get well Mm -hmm. now or then. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And then what about for the wives? Because, you know, they, they oftentimes feel like they have to just, like we talked about, they have to somehow play the Savior, get in there and fix it or whatever. What would you say to them? I think the wives, uh, they're in a state where they feel like, why is this happening to me? You know, I did, I checked all the boxes. We're married in the temple. We've done these things. Like this shouldn't be happening. And I would say, well, actually it should happen because now is your opportunity to surrender to your savior and say, I can't do this. I can't make this eternal marriage work. I can't make my husband do these things. I can't force this to happen. And so the best place you can be in a state of surrender and then seek for help and resources. And again, that they win in the end, the Savior's got them. Yeah, because it's certainly not something you would wish on anybody. No. But, uh, but what you're saying is to take advantage of this opportunity to deeply surrender yeah. and really let the atonement work for you mm-hmm. and obviously allow it to work for your partner if they want that. But they don't, they don't have to panic and worry that uh, they're not going to be okay because they're going to be okay. Yeah, they will. Yeah, they will. that's great. So fabulous. So it sounds like the summit will continue to grow. Yeah. I've got several people that are on my uh, hit list here that are, to, to <laughs> track them down because I want a part of this. That lineup. And then you'll yeah. just, so anybody that has the all access pass can just, they'll just be able to have access to this, to any future episodes that you add right. to it. Exactly. And and that also includes like uh, you get all the transcripts and also a podcast feed. So if you do like, I'm a podcast uh, junkie. So if you do like listening to things, podcast form on the go, like the all access pass, they'll you'll get a podcast feed so you can listen as you go. Oh, because the the summit was done video. Yeah, it's all online. You can watch the okay. login and then you watch the video. But, but you can just audio, stream it audio yeah, you on your phone or whatever. Yeah, and then as I add more people, I'll make those, every session will be made at some point available for free to watch for everybody that okay. signs up with their email. But yeah, the all access pass obviously will be added to the library. Right, well, that's great. Wow, that's just wonderful. Thank you so much. I, I think about in the proclamation to the world, proclamation on the family, that last paragraph, I believe, that talks about how you know we call upon all citizens to promote these measures. I think that's the phrase, yeah, yeah. roughly. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I look at this effort here that you that you undertook to take this on, and all the other summits you've done as well. And I love that you just put this together. Yeah, right. Just one guy in <laughs> a microphone asking lots of questions and pulling in lots of resources and making it available for people. Because I promise you, you know this already. I've seen some of the feedback. It's going to have a direct impact. Yeah, People's lives awesome. will literally be changed by this information. And I, any of my listeners that are, you know, you're listening to this podcast, obviously, because you care about this topic and you want to be a support or you're seeking support. But, you know, I, we're just one podcast. There, there's so many more resources and you'll just start down this domino, <laughs> this yeah. sort of domino chain. You'll, you'll find so many more great resources. And the more light we can shed on this, the better. Yeah. And I got to shout out, obviously it wasn't just me, but there's many donors and individuals that contributed. So it wasn't just a guy in his basement with a microphone, but uh, sometimes it felt felt that way. Yeah, that's true. (laughs) Something this big usually can't happen alone. So a lot of people that have contributed and make this possible. Okay. Anybody in particular you want to mention or? Uh, Well, obviously we have a board of directors and then we have some very generous donors because there are some, there's some overhead to this. You know, we didn't have to rent a conference center to make this happen, but uh, you know, the the software and the uh, hosting and those things uh, was covered by uh, a lot of great donors that the leading saints community that makes it happen. So it's, it's a cool effort to be a part of. That's wonderful. Thank you so much, Kurt, for yeah, taking some thanks time. Thanks for having and, me. Yeah, you bet. You can learn more about the Liberating Saints Summit again by going to leadingsaints.org forward slash liberating. And you can uh, visit that and put your email address in and get three free sessions like we talked about. 
And then, of course, you can sign up for the All Access Pass and just pay attention to other announcements where there might be other opportunities to hear additional sessions and other content for free. And, of course, we encourage you to visit the LeadingSaints.org website and look at all the amazing resources, 300-plus podcasts and other resources to help you become a more effective leader, both in the church and in your personal life and in the home. So, once again, I want to thank Kurt for taking time to be with us today. And I look forward to being with you guys next time on the Illuminate Podcast.